Welcome to the Autofixation Podcast, a live pedal production with your host Mark Farouk and Matt Powers. Hi, welcome to the first episode of the Autofixation Podcast, brought to you by the Loud Pedal. My name is Mark Farouk, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Powers. Hey, Mark. How's it going, man? Good, good. Good to have you here. Uh, so this is a new uh, experiment for the Loud Pedal, uh, creating a, a podcast. Uh, it seems that everyone's doing it. Uh, so I thought we would start with kind of what to expect. Um, you know, the first thing is, like we said, your friends, your neighbors, your pets, everybody's jumping on this bandwagon to start a podcast. Um, and it's eventually will be replaced by some other technology in the future, and all this will be irrelevant, and we'll look back on this with a sense of nostalgia and glee that never really existed in the moment. Um, it's inevitable, but uh, we're going to enjoy it while it's still here and uh, jump on this bandwagon and ride it as far as we can. Sounds like a plan, man. I mean, I figure if uh, a meathead like Joe Rogan can get millions <laughs> of followers, how hard can it be, right? So true. So true. Uh, so kind of just a background of what we plan to do. Um, so we plan to bring our combined experience uh, for whatever that's worth or lack of experience. <laughs> very, uh, very little on my part, Mark. <laughs> I'm, I'm really here to be your sidekick, man. I mean, <laughs> I'm the, uh, what is it? I, the, uh, the, the, the Ringo to your uh, John Lennon, <laughs> I've George set, Harrison. I've set the bar really low, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so we, we plan to uh, discuss things in the world of the automotive, discuss our own exploits, whatever they may be, hopefully interview some interesting people, um, and of course fill time with our own stupid commentary and pseudoscience-based analysis, you know, just like 24-hour news networks. So I think we found a winning formula. Uh, we'll, we'll create our own outrage machine. Um, so in our first episode here, we're just going to give you some of the topics we want to cover. Um, the ridiculousness of the current car buying market and some recent experiences that we've had. Um, Matt, this was uh, your contribution. I, I like the way you wrote this. I, I want you to read this one. So uh, we have to talk about how we've become uh, versions of our absolute worst selves. <laughs> I am the full-fledged smug EV driver now, um, very focused on my my range and my low carbon footprint now. You mentioned when I came over range anxiety, uh, it, a term I'd never heard you use before. <laughs> I started to get a little worried. I have other anxieties usually. <laughs> no, I can add that to it. And then you're now, uh, you know, the official um, gas guzzling planet warmer. With your, what is that? What is that, what, what is that? Uh, thing the, uh, to eight miles to the gallon? Uh, around the city, I, I can sometimes <laughs> pull, you know, 11, 12. <laughs> On the highway, if I'm really careful, I get 18. Um, but, uh, that's the price you pay for the noise it makes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we're also going to cover, uh, Sacramento and the surrounding area drivers. Uh, yes, you all suck. Uh, we both commute for the most part. Uh, I commute almost every day. I know Matt, you every other day or so. Uh, -huh. uh and so we have to face this frequently, whether it's going into the office or picking up our kids, like many of you also have to. And of course, I think where we want to start is the unbelievable conclusion to the Formula One season that just happened at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix on Sunday. Um, 
simply unbelievable. And I think we should probably uh, wait before we start to start there. We should kind of tell a little bit about ourselves. Yeah, we got a level set here. Yeah, right? exactly. So, uh, so our, our right two in. our two listeners know what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what we're uh, listen what carefully. Exp- both of you expertise is here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we have to say what got us into cars in the first place, Mark. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You've been doing this for what's, a while. What's our expertise, David, for people to listen to I us? I mean, you're an automotive to... journalist, so <laughs> you've got you've got. Some I certainly real pretend to be. Here. I certainly <laughs> pretend to be <laughs> enough uh, of a journalist to get free passes to uh, car races and things. That's like true. That, right? so, that that was always the goal, and so I've achieved that. So I, yeah, I feel like I can call myself a, a, a automotive journalist. Though I still chuckle on the inside when I say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but to, but to get to that point, what what was your uh well yeah, well, what got you into what got you into cars? Yeah, you know, that's uh when we were preparing for this, I was thinking back cuz it's just become such a part of my life that I I haven't really thought about it. And then I was thinking back and I think I was I was probably 12 years old at the time. I grew up in 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 Virginia and Georgia. And uh, I remember being about 12. I don't remember the car, but I remember it wouldn't start. The hood's open. You know, the air filter's off. The top of the engine's exposed. The carburetors, you could see. Kids, go look up what that means. (laughs) Um, And I saw a grown man uh, with a cigarette dangling, a lit cigarette dangling out of his mouth, hunched over the carburetor, spraying a can of ether to try to get the car to start. <laughs> How many teeth did he have? Did he, was he working with yeah, a full I, set? You know, I think it would take several people in the town to put together a full set. Um, but it was in that moment I thought, yeah, I definitely want to be a part of that. Whatever he's doing, that's, that's what I need in my life. Uh, <laughs> barrier for entry is real low. Right. I was like, well, if you can get away with that, it's okay. But uh, but later in, in, in life, um, really, like, right around, I think I just finished college, and it kind of hit me. I went to a uh, race at Sonoma Raceway. It was the American Le Mans series. I mean, I was into cars and into racing, but it was kind of one of the first experiences where I got up close to something. I saw the... Uh, legendary Audi R8 um, Le Mans car. And when I saw that and what it was able to do on track, and j- it wasn't just the car. It was the atmosphere. It was the Germans on the team. Uh-huh. They showed up in the paddock in S8s. <laughs> that was their team transport car. So this fleet of black Audi S8s rolling up. Dope. All drivers, not all the drivers, but a lot of them German, the engineers German, everybody's talking German. It was just this atmosphere that was created. And then to watch them go out on track and just utterly crush everyone uh, in what looked like a spaceship. That was really the moment building on top of my childhood memory where I was absolutely hooked uh-huh. on, on this process uh, or in the world of cars. Yeah, and so yeah, that's yeah. how it started for me. Nice. So nice. what about you? I, You know, I think my early childhood memories were reading Road and Track magazine, collecting car posters. I remember, you know, the the Porsche 959. Oh, like, classic. That's a beautiful car, right? And I think I had I had posters up of that in my uh, on my walls. The Ferrari F40. It was just like being attracted to those like clean, beautiful mm-hmm. lines and just the speed that that represented. And I was just hooked, man. You know, and <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just always been 
Now tell the truth, if you could still put the posters up on your wall, would you still do it? Absolutely. (laughs) There we go. Good man. Everything in my son's room (laughs) is still. (laughs) Those posters are just actually uh, me living vicariously. Yeah. No, I don't know, man. I just think there's there's a beauty to those to those '80s cars that you know it's still still remarkable and. yeah, something about the the speed of them and the yeah, the, the the beauty of uh, the analog technology exactly where everything's a screen. I mean, we just both looked at our new cars that we have, and it's all screens and electronics and yep. stuff that computer engineers put together. Not anyone with a sketch pad and kind of not to say that modern cars lack passion, but they lack a passion <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny i was just looking at the um at rough you know they're still making uh basically though those old style yeah 911s it's all analog mm-hmm. you know with some newer technology carbon fiber you know upgraded brakes you know the roll cages and all that stuff but i mean they're charging a million dollars for that analog technology experience yeah you know, and the performance specs by today's standards aren't that great it's like 500 horsepower zero to 60 and three yeah and three and a half seconds i mean your tesla your hundred thousand dollar tesla <laughs> definitely beats that and so you know but people are willing to pay a premium for that 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 older yeah totally driving experience totally i should well, actually i remember this just <laughs> i remember when i was 16 my friend's neighbor had a porsche 911 he paid us to to wash it i don't know which model it was but it was probably like i don't know an 89 or something and man, that thing just like feeling the, the it's a six speed manual, feeling those oh, that, yeah. that 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 gear shift, and I mean it was wasn't quite like my manual Volvo two forty <laughs> DL. Like, that thing had some uh, that that Porsche had had a great feel to it, and that like that engine, the way that thing sounded, that was yeah, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's hard to be. It's like uh, you know, there's a nostalgia now for uh, record players and records. And it's not as cheap as when I was a kid. You could buy one. It's yeah. become a very expensive kind of thing to have for the nostalgia. But it's you know, in many ways, it's there's a soul there that's missing from a lot of areas. I was we were just looking at your car a while ago, the the Polestar. I noticed the valve opener thing for the the AC heat controls has a very satisfying click to it. And I think that click was like a throwback to totally. like this analog mechanical. The way things work, you know, the first time I sat in a Ferrari with a gated shifter, I thought there's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Like this, the, sati- the satisfaction of that feeling and everything together, just unreal. Now, would I want to drive around all the time with a gated <laughs> shifter? Absolutely not. It, it, it would only be awful. But just when you get a shift right in those conditions, there's nothing more rewarding than that. And so, yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with – and all those things definitely had an impact on, on me as well. I've been lucky enough. My garage uh, is where I put up all my current posters and then <laughs> – in my office at work, I've been able to get away with putting up a few, uh-huh. and I've tried to convince my wife that some of some of the really large photos of my personal photos I've taken of cars are art, 
that should be featured in the house. That's not an argument that I've won yet, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep trying, see where it leads. <laughs> so you're a journalist slash artist, you know, you got, yeah, you got yeah. all these monikers to help. Well, you, you know, we live uh, in an age you know. can call yourself whatever you want to. Yeah, right. right? Exactly. We're podcast hosts. <laughs> right, exactly. We just instantly became podcast hosts. I mean, just like that. I mean, you're a podcast producer now. Have you thought about that? You put that on your resume. I was shocking. <laughs> but you put that on your LinkedIn page. Yeah, right. I already have. <laughs> While we were sitting here. <laughs> uh, so now that uh, we've kind of laid the groundwork of, of what we know or maybe what we don't know, um, we can jump right in. So I wanted to jump right in. I've been really, I you know, Formula One for the past few seasons has not been something I could point to and say I've gotten really amped up about it. No. It has been. No. no. You, wa- you watch like what, the first yeah. minute, you watch the opening lap, you see what happens. Yeah. See how the start goes, see how those first few turns go. Exactly. And then you're waiting until, you know, the first round of pit stops. Yeah. Then you go, so. you know, you go make breakfast or, yeah, you know, exactly. clean the house and it's it's background noise. Yeah. And then you come back and you're like, oh, oh, great. The guy that started is the guy in the yeah, first yeah, position. Yeah, yeah, yeah and exactly. Just having that over and over. And so this season, to have some real competition that came down to the very end, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, tied on points going in the last race. I mean, you could not have written a script better than that. I think a lot of conspiracy theorists would say that it was written to be that way. I, I don't think that's true. Um, but yeah, no, I went into, I watched the race, uh, Sunday morning. Um, I watched it recorded, but we had a rule in the house, like no phones, nothing, uh-huh. keep everything shut off. I think you watched it, watched live, it live on TV. Yep. Um, so I watched it with my daughter, who's a huge, uh, Max fan. I gotta be honest. I'm not really a Red Bull fan or Verstappen fan, but I was willing to be this season. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think I found myself in the same boat, you know, I think, uh, the sport needed some change mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, we got we got a great season. I mean, I, I think, like you said, all those points are absolutely true about you know just what Formula One has been over the years, and now this year, how how exciting it was and how interesting. I mean that 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 first opening lap that was that was something else, Mark. I mean, I think you and I were texting mm-hmm. about that in our sort of immediate debrief about how. You know that was clearly I, I an went advantage into... for Hamilton. So for those that don't know, maybe yeah, they're yeah, listening. It's, it's... So lights go out. Hamilton Verstappen is on pole. Lights go out. Hamilton gets a significantly better mm-hmm. reaction. Great time. start. Yeah, beats him to turn one. Has position going into turn one. Verstappen's in second place. Follows him through. I think turn one, two, three, and four. Perhaps I'm mistaken because maybe actually, yeah, I was you know, just going to put the track. It was map. turn five where that where he, where Hamilton put or where Verstappen put a move on Hamilton at, at the end of the race. So, so I think turn was, six, so yeah, into the long six. straight, yeah, yeah. So uh, Max makes a little lunge up the inside, beats him to the corner, takes the apex, stays on track, all four wheels on, with, the track. on track. Hamilton runs off and has to bail out of the turn and goes straight, enters the track. I don't know, a good hundred yards. Yeah, <laughs> up, almost up at what's considered turn eight 
Because right after six is turn seven, it's an immediate left and a right, and turn eight is a kind of a, it's not really a turn, it's kind of the beginning of that next straightaway. And he almost re-enters the track, so he goes off at six and re-enters at eight. <laughs> yeah. At least, it, it, you know, I would estimate six to eight car lengths ahead. When they're on that main street straight between five and six, it's about a three car length advantage. And he leaves this incident basically doubling yes. uh, the advantage he has. Yes. Um, and I thought, for a brief moment, I thought, well, he's going to have to give the position back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. a very similar situation had happened the week prior in, in this uh, Saudi Arabian Grand Prix where Max being, he is aggressive, there's no doubt about it, uh, overshot, went off track, stayed ahead. He was forced to give the position back. And, of course, there was a whole lot of, controversy and issues stewards kind of messed that up but he was penalized so i thought okay well this is he's going to get a penalty for this or at least have to give the position back and then nothing happens nothing happens stewards decided no further investigation no further action when i saw that i think that it flashed up on screen maybe about four laps later three or four laps later yeah if i remember yeah and that was a moment where i was kind of I don't get too caught up. I don't get so tied up in sporting events where I'm, I reach a level of just complete disgust and dismay that I'm ready to walk away. But I did have a brief moment where I like, I don't think I can watch this anymore. Um, but I was also, luckily, my daughter was there watching it with me, and I was like, okay, well, she's still into it. I'm going to keep watching. I don't want to. I don't want to be a bad sport in front of her and set this example. You can just, you know, knock the table over and walk away. So I stayed with it. I'm glad I did. Yes. I mean, even though I was completely uh, over it for most of the race, just what fuming as I'm watching what's occurring because I felt like that they were trying to hand it. To, to him right away. It certainly seemed like it. I mean, and the rules seem to be pretty clear in this case that you cannot leave the track and gain a lasting advantage. So, you know, it if would that's seem the that letter, way. If that's <laughs> the letter of the, the, the rule, the law, I mean, surely Hamilton should have had to give that back. Um, so I'm with you. I mean, I think there really wasn't anything all that remarkable until Checo ends up holding... Yeah, Hamilton after what is that? That's after the first the virtual oh, the first yeah this that first safety car pit. What a what a uh, I know there are comments on the team radio referring to to uh, Sergio Perez Checo is a legend. I think Max Verstappen even referred to him that after the race. He credited him with his championship. He yeah. said I wouldn't be champion without him. For those that don't know, based on the pit stops, Hamilton had pitted first. And uh, Verstappen's teammate, Sergio Perez, had not yet pitted. And basically, Red Bull told him over the radio, you need to hold Hamilton up. But, you know, not in a dangerous way. You just need to make it very hard for him to pass. And he he put on an amazing display in making Hamilton really work for it. Um, I, I forgot how many. He, he cost him some significant time. I, I think it was some around six, six yeah, seconds, something yeah. like that. Because I mean, uh, there, was, there was a big gap between 
Verstappen and, and Hamilton. Yeah. And then, yeah, there was, there was a, only a second uh, after uh, between, between Hamilton and Verstappen after Hamilton got the pass done. So it was, yeah. uh, it was, a, it was a hell of a drive by. It was really, it was, a, and, and he's been that way throughout the season as, as just a great number two. It's, you know, I was thinking about it. Imagine how much more dominant the Vettel years in Red Bull could have been had there not been this conflict between him and Mark Webber, yep. where this between Verstappen and Perez, they seem to have things like really worked out on that. You know, at least at this point, Perez is the number two driver and, and he, he put in an amazing um, effort. Um, yeah, I, I want to jump ahead a little bit. There was an incident. There was um, a virtual safety car comes out. Uh, for one of the off-track incidences, so this was the one that occurred before the the crash. Who was the crash at the end? Um, it was uh, um, <laughs> Nicholas Latifi. Yeah, so he crashed. So he's one brought out the full safety car, but there was a crash earlier on that brings out a virtual safety car. And I bring this up because that's been totally lost in the coverage. Everybody's focused on what happened at the end, and it was amazing. But they were playing radio traffic at the time, and and Toto Wolf, who's the team principal for Mercedes, is talking to uh, uh, Michael Massai, the chief, uh, the the chief. I forget his official race, title. Race director, the race director. Yeah, and he basically is saying he basically says something to the effect of, "Don't make this a full safety car. It's going to be bad for the race." Now, they've only started uh, playing team to stewards radio the last couple of races i was just going to remark on that remark on that mark i think that uh <laughs> I, we never used to hear those yeah. internal communications i think it actually adds an interesting dynamic it does. To, to the understanding of the it race to, to hear how the team principals and the various um various you know uh, communications folks within mm-hmm. those teams are working the fia officials Wor- working it is a great that's a great yeah a great description i i it was really like it's like a full-scale lobbying effort that they're doing <laughs> yep and uh and and but what i caught from that was it was the my interpretation but I think you've been in this situation too. You've worked in politics for a long time like I have, and you will find yourself sometimes in a room with someone that always gets what they want, what they want, and they speak with a certain tone that exudes that. Yes. And you know when they say something, it's an ex it's not a request, it's an expectation. Yes. And when I heard him say that over uh, when they played that part of the broadcast, I was like, this is a man that usually gets his way when he's talking to the stewards. Yes. That this is not an ass. This is a demand. Yes. Don't bring in a safety car. Yes. And so that really started to like, not skew how I was watching things, but I was starting to like, okay, things are starting to make sense now. What happened with things being fumbled in Saudi Arabia? You know, there was the incident where max ran in the back of hamilton and this basically the team said we couldn't get in the message quick enough to give the place back it really seemed that that was completely the stewards bungled that they didn't get the message out in time they didn't correct things yet for stopping got the penalty for that yeah and so when i heard toto on the radio this time i was like okay this this makes sense he's used to getting his way whether it's the 
obviously the power of Mercedes in the I sport. I was going to say what they've been dominant for what seven, eight, yeah, eight, eight years now, eight years. And now? I mean, they spend well over a billion dollars a year on this program, so yeah. certainly a lot of weight comes with that. And people would argue this was the same weight that Red Bull had in yep. their four championships, and the same weight that Ferrari had when Schumacher, Schumacher was there. Yep. So. I, I, I totally get it. I don't I, I don't have this, you know, I don't blame anybody personally. That's just the nature of, of the sport. But it certainly shed some light on some of the, the politics that yep. were at play here. Yep. Yep. I completely agree, Mark. I mean What so another issue, a lot of people were stuck on the, the final lap, right? That because this the way the safety car period was done and letting the lap some of the lap traffic, at least the lap traffic between Hamilton and Verstappen at the end go, that somehow Hamilton was robbed. And I, my two thoughts since I heard that, and Hamilton fans are very adamant about it, was, A, did you really want to see a championship decided under safety car? I don't. I think people would have completely... I mean, people have already been disappointed with Formula 1 enough as it is. But to end that way... With all the hype that was surrounding it, I just thought would have just I, I I think the pressure was on Formula One not to let that happen. Um, and then the other thing was completely ignoring. So it was okay. Well, Hamilton. I've heard the argument. Well, you know, Hamilton took the lead in spite of his dubious pass that he made and didn't have to give a position back. But he maintained this lead, and he was being punished in spite of his racecraft and all this. But I also, I, I think you brought up something in one of the text messages you sent me about, what about race strategy? Why was Hamilton in this position to be on these bad tires? And, you know, and even in the race, he's radioing back to the engineers, right? Like, are you sure this is right? This, I, I think we need new tires. This isn't going to last. And they're saying, no, 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 we need track position. Um, I hindsight of course you know you look back say you should have done this but i felt like it was a little bit of red bull through every strategy they had at this and mercedes went with one strategy stay on track that's right and i i think that cost them no i agree i agree though you know looking at this generation of of cars that Uh that we've been dealing with for Mm -hmm. the last eight years or so I mean, track position is basically the most critical thing that you can have. You That's know? a good point. And so, <laughs> you know, I can understand in the in the heat of things, probably that was the calculation was like, we have to stay out in front. I mean, I think where I take exception to what Massey and the, the stewards did is, I mean, they communicated. So, so you know, when the, when the safety car comes out, and they're focused on cleaning up the Latifi wreck. They first communicate um, that there will be no overtaking right. under the safety car. Right. The back markers, the lap cars will not be allowed to overtake. And then <laughs> two, three, four minutes later, you get this message that five lapped cars or four lap cars, whatever it was, the cars between Hamilton mm-hmm. and Verstappen will now be able to overtake the safety car. And then very quickly after that, the safety car is coming in. So I, I think whenever you have a reversal of a previous... Mm-hmm. Uh, statement that was made, you know, I think there's going to be questions about what was yeah. the motivation behind that. You totally. Know? And, and, and I understand. Yes. So I, I don't think anybody argues with not ending the race under a safety car, clearly having the a motor race and in racing conditions. It could have been handled better. But exactly. But those decisions certainly could be. I, I, I think it was a, a really a culmination of, you know, it's easy to look at that event 
and and you know through a through a tunnel and not see everything else that's happened this season. I mean, I think the officiating throughout the season, the way penalties were awarded or not awarded as the case may have been, or sometimes the delay in giving a penalty. I think the stewards and the overall control of the race and discipline of the race really sucked overall. <laughs> it was it's always it's never going to be consistent because you know, motor racing and soccer are very similar in that the the penalties, calls, fouls are very much open to interpretation That's and right. judgment That's of right. those watching it. That's right. But it just felt like the judgment was never consistent. You know, yes. the the and it really the last two races kind of showed that. Max goes off track in Saudi Arabia, very similar type of lunge, but he goes off, he has to give the place back. He keeps all four wheels on the on the track in Abu Dhabi. Hamilton goes off, gains a huge lead. Nothing happens. It's no. like whoa, whoa, whoa what, what, what? Yes. yes. Um, but it overall, there was lots of cases throughout the season where there were very questionable uh, calls by the stewards. But I think overall, this has been. I think Formula One needed this. It needed to have this come down to the to the end. Um, to have two great look, I'm not a fan of Hamilton or Mercedes, but you, you can't dismiss what they've been able to accomplish. They still won the constructors' championship. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I'm hopeful for the future, but I also hope this isn't the reemergence of now four or five years of Red Bull dominance, <laughs> uh, because I don't think that's any more healthy uh, for the sport either. I, I'm hoping that I don't know. Part of me hopes that while these two teams are trying to kill each other, that you know, McLaren, Ferraris, or maybe even Aston Martin, you know, start fighting up front. That's right. Well, I mean, we've seen Lando Norris with uh, McLaren have a really great season. Yeah. You know, and put yeah. some amazing drives, qualified uh, sec- uh, third in yeah. this race. And then the drama, you know, everybody forgot Carlos Sainz, yep. podium position yep. for Ferrari, third exactly. place. I mean, he that was that was an amazing, but given <laughs> everything else that happened, and nobody cared what he was able to accomplish. <laughs> Well, we got about 90 days, I think, now to see uh, what the new package is. Yeah, and, we'll mean, see who got it right. Exactly, exactly. That's going to be... You know, all bets are going to be off here with entering yeah. a, new, a new formula and a, yeah. new, a new era. And uh, yeah, we'll yeah. see. Yeah, I now, mean, obviously. the amount of, you know, I, I, I get the tensions were high. And I totally get, like, you know, the one area that I can give Hamilton fans who have texted me or called me and I even <laughs> I was walking to work yesterday and I was getting out of the elevator and the first thing I heard getting off the elevator, Hamilton was robbed. <laughs> uh, you know who you are who said that to me. Um, and so it's, you know, but I get the emotion of it, but also get like, had the situation been reversed, Red Bull would have done the same thing. Um, but I find I just I, I want to play a little clip, and I think we're going to use this a lot throughout our our series of podcast, assuming this it, continues. It, is this going to be the uh, angry Austrian? This is angry Toto yeah. uh, when he doesn't get his way. Uh, I love this. No, Mike. No, no, Mike. That was so not right. Uh, so I think enough of uh, we've probably. Uh, beaten formula one to death and people that don't watch formula one are like what the hell are they talking about we've had enough of this and those that watch it are like this is not very insightful <laughs> yeah they're like you're just saying everything that i saw uh so moving on uh, we'll get past that so we're just we mentioned earlier we both entered um the car market recently I don't know. Did you want to get into it all your experience or you want to save that for another episode? Cause it's kind of interesting. 
of what you went through. Yeah, sure. I, I had a very pleasurable experience with Polestar up until the moment that I got the car home. And I got a call from the sales representative that they had sold me the wrong car was their message, which was not exactly what I was expecting to hear. (laughs) We'll insert that in later. (laughs) Little Toto in there. No, Michael. No. So when I got it, when I got to the dealership, they were like, oh, you know, welcome. Uh, So great to see you. You know, here's your car. And they pointed to the car uh, on the showroom. And I said to the sales lady, I said, are you sure that that's the right, the right car? Is that the right color? She's like, yeah, this is your car. And I was kind of looking at it. I thought, I don't know if these, this is the package that I ordered. Now, I guess I have to provide a little context here, Mark, that I had ordered this car uh, two and a half weeks prior to delivery. Um, I just found out. Which is out. pretty, really good turnaround time. Exactly. Amazing turnaround so time. So what I had done was I kind of, there was a, Op, there was a bunch of options for pre-configured cars that you could choose for uh, choose choose okay. from that were sort of due in you know two to three to four weeks something like that so it was kind of pre-configured and it was on on the boat sort of so it had already been produced nobody claimed it it was on it was in transit so um i'd had a few drinks as you occasionally do in the evening and <laughs> i uh was in the in the car market all of a sudden because my Audi had taken a shit and so mm. perfect uh, time for shopping after you've consumed alcohol totally totally <laughs> so you know and i gotta say like buying a car online is pretty easy these days mm-hmm. and so I, I i basically filtered by cars that were available with the packages that i that i wanted and I chose one and put down the $500 deposit and they said it would be here in two and a half weeks. And then for all they know, your son could have ordered this car. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> As we speak, he's probably ordering a couple. That'd be great. Watch out what pulls up on a flatbed out front. That'd be great. <laughs> so uh, when I get to the dealership, I, you know, I sort of... I have a familiarity with the packages that I've ordered, but I mean, I certainly haven't seen the car in real life before that. I mean, it wasn't like I bought it. I picked it out on the lot and mm-hmm. then came back and collected it later. I'd only seen it online. And so she points it out and I was a little bit skeptical, of course, but she was very insistent. Like, okay, this is what, this is the car. And who am I to argue? Right. I mean, yeah. indeed, the, who are you powers to argue <laughs> with this? They know what they're doing. <laughs> It's a major auto manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. With a very shiny showroom in Corte Madeira. You know, <laughs> right. like they clearly know uh, what they're Corte doing. Corte Madeira. Yeah, right. Hmm. Nice I have thought where Paul, Polestar would have had a showroom. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of Marin types, I guess, that are driving yeah, these cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, uh, I guess. That makes sense. <laughs> Arden is perhaps not the, uh, yeah. the, the target market <laughs> yeah. for... Actually, maybe it should, would be, actually. Maybe there should, yeah, it probably is. At yeah. some point. Yeah. At some point, it'll come to Arden. Who knows? Um, so anyway, so um, she, she gets me in this car, and... I thought this is pretty. This is pretty nice. You know, it was very enjoyable to drive. Turns out, though, it had the sports package, which I had not ordered, and it had a sunroof, which was pretty nice. Mm. I I like slick tops. I gotta say, I'm partial to slick tops. Okay. Uh, you know, historically, sunroofs can have leaking issues. Motors go out. 
kind of good pain, point. pain to work on. That's a good you know? point. You, you, I, I had not thought of that now that you're saying and it. And you have a big I live in fear because <laughs> the entire roof is basically a giant sunroof on the SQ7. With like a $4,000, $5,000 price tag. Probably, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Plus the shade. Plus there's a, an automatic shade. Exactly. Okay. You've given me an anxiety that uh, <laughs> I had not had previously. And you have structural rigidity too, right? Because you've got that slick top. That's There's a little true. bit more yeah, holding, true. holding the, um, the the body stable, right? It's important, important stuff. Very true. So, um, so anyway, so it's got this, it's got the slick top, and or sorry, it has the sunroof. When I thought I'd order the slick top, but I figured they, they, they said they're professionals. They've done the VIN number match, and you know who knows? Maybe they didn't have the exact one that they told me. In stock, maybe it was kind of a representation. So you're thinking so maybe like, things are working in your favor. Exactly. And who am I to pass yeah, up a good deal, right? Yeah, no. You know, come on. <laughs> exactly. You, you have to do it. I hope the uh, sales lady and general manager aren't listening to our podcast because <laughs> when, <laughs> when they called me <laughs> to ask me to return the car, well, actually, they did offer into their defense. They offered to bring the correct car up. I was outraged. Mm. You have to be outraged. Mm-hmm. Such, Absolutely. Such a situation, Absolutely. Right? <laughs> well, this was also during the ho- this was what day after Thanksgiving, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's important family time. Exactly. You know. As I told you to 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 say repeatedly um, as your unofficial unlicensed attorney <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying to figure out as we were talking that day trying to figure out what options you might have. And I thought we might have an opportunity if the VIN numbers matched on the paperwork exactly. on the car that you received. Exactly. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, that was not the case. The VIN number was not a match. So they had taken the VIN, the correct VIN, and put that on the license plate, the temporary license plate, but the actual VIN in the windscreen uh, was different from the paperwork. So somebody, has someone been fired over this? I wonder. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's a good. I think there's some probation. I didn't want to get too into yeah, that. Yeah, there's some, pro- some probation involved, some other things. I, I don't know. But yeah. uh, it's a pretty serious mistake. I mean, I think there's a lot of, frankly, regulatory issues, things that. Well, I mean, it, I, just thinking about it, what if, you know, as soon, I mean, because this is usually what I've done in the past. I get a new car and I go on a road trip pretty fast like what if you're like halfway to tahoe or monterey or something you get a call well, well, you're in the wrong would, car yeah i mean i would run out of battery at that point so yeah. i mean i probably i would i'd be three quarters to, to so they've got you on sort of a leash yeah, no matter what right happens. right exactly right. exactly so <laughs> <laughs> no but exactly i mean it was uh it was you know at the end of the day it was it was not the not not the worst thing but it was you know clearly not a very professional uh professional situation for them but you know the car has been great and in all in all seriousness it's uh it drives really well it's got great pickup i mean actually we got to go take it for a spin mark yeah we do absolutely it's it's i like the looks of it too it's it's for for you know the electric cars out there it's 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 a good looking car and and yeah, you're right. Anything, uh, I, I'm kind of in that anything but Tesla camp. I mean, of course, you know, the Porsche Taycan and the various Audi, like the Audi e-tron GT, but those are not, you know, realistic no, that's right. family haulers. I mean, you could if you're in that income bracket, but that's not something that's, it's, you know, realistic 
uh, for me. So, you know, I think this is a, I, I think the Polestar 2 is a, is a, it's a good looking car. And I mean, I think, look, you have to respect what Tesla has done for the mm-hmm. EV market, clearly. I mean, they've almost created the EV market single-handedly. Yeah. Maybe they have. <laughs> well, with and, a significant so. amount of uh, public subsidy. Yeah. Uh, certainly, <laughs> it's helped. But, of course, others had access to those same subsidies as well. So, no, they've, they've re- well, it's not, I, I think they're, they're not to get off on a Tesla tangent here. But let's do it. Let's do it. Right, I, I think on the, the inaugural uh, podcast here, let's, let's roll uh, with let's, it. Let's, what a punch up. What are we doing here? You, Kick, you know, kicking before. Down. <laughs> punching up. Let's take on uh, Elon. Yeah. Let's see if we can get some uh, attention this way. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I got to give them a lot of credit for doing something that for a long time I had thought was impossible and that was make EVs look good yes up until tesla evs looked awful yes um and they did not have it was all about efficiency they did not have there was no sportiness involved and here they come along creating something that looks a lot better than what's been there before and with the various you know the the various models they have that are geared toward performance kind of that nod toward hey we know people are want to want to buy evs who care about performance and so got to give them a lot of credit for that 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 has been revolutionary because i think people have very short memories for getting how ugly a lot of these things were before i I was thinking of the general motors ev1 i don't know if you recall that mark but we've got a beautiful picture of that it has these very strange uh it's it's fenders i think that sort of cover half the rear well see this is what happens when odd odd situation engineers are allowed to run rampant without (laughs) thinking about looks i'm sure those wheel covers the the fender covers are are great for efficiency but you know this was that car the ev1 was if you ever saw that movie who killed the electric car uh which i don't know felt a bit conspiratorial um ignoring the fact of just how ugly yes that car yeah, that, <laughs> that car killed the ev yes. car <laughs> until exactly. until tesla came around because there was a lot of people who probably were on the fence and thinking oh this electric technology is good then they saw this they were like oh god no way exactly it's exactly. absolutely hideous um no but i think um you know with since 2013 when the model s first came out i mean like you said it's it's changed the ballgame in terms of you know the desirability to, to drive mm-hmm. an ev and i mean the, the the problem with them is that like you said the door panels are on backwards and the seals don't work and you've got to <laughs> be associated with elon and... musk <laughs> you, <laughs> right. you know? right. so so i think you know we're really on the cusp now of probably a revolution in in terms of you know vehicles and the electric vehicle industry i mean there's just so many options now coming out you know we were talking about the the id4 from vw yeah i mean that's that's yeah. accessible and it's you're right it's not a bad looking car you, you'd remarked on that it's, it's yeah. not a bad looking car i don't think it's particularly sexy and it's not no great it's not to exciting drive, but it's a it's a you know it's a but volkswagen it, and yeah. it's got good range and yeah it's i mean not if you put your expensive you know if you put aside you know, it's it's part part of the problem is with a lot of what's coming onto the market that's accessible, 
is you do write, think about the description we use for this. It's not a bad looking car, but we're certainly not saying, oh, it looks great. Yeah, right. We're like, no, it's not bad looking. That's unfortunately kind of the standard we have to live with for now in this mid and lower range of accessibility. Um, But we could certainly spend a lot of time uh, talking about these topics. Um, We should probably wrap it up here. We've spent a lot of time on this. We appreciate all two or maybe three of you that have been listening. I mean, I'm going to make my kids listen to it. Yeah, I was going to say, and thanks, Mom and Dad. Appreciate (laughs) appreciate the listen here. There you go. So so with that, we are out. You need to reinstate the lap before. That's not right. Toto? Yes. It's called a motor race, okay? Sorry? We went to car racing.